Alex Sanders Jr. was the chief judge of the South Carolina Court of Appeals from 1983 to 1992. When his uh, daughter Zoe graduated from the University of uh, South Carolina in 1992, he told this story about his daughter that happened when she was just three years old. Sanders came home from work one day to find his home, especially his young daughter, in a state of turmoil. Zoe's pet turtle had died, and she was crying as if her heart would break. Zoe's mother had been dealing with the situation all day and declared that it was now Dad's turn to try to make things better. Although he was, a success, he was successful both as a lawyer and a politician, who confidently faced all kinds of complex issues and problems, this one seemed out of his league. He knew the mysteries of life and death can be difficult for the mature mind to comprehend, but the task of explaining them to a three-year-old was completely beyond his confidence and his experience but he tried. First, he told Zoe they could go to the pet store and buy another one just like the one who had died. Even though she was three years old, Zoe was smart enough to know that a turtle is not a toy. There's really no such thing as getting another one just like the one who died. And so Zoe's tears continued to flow. Desperate to help his little girl, he said, I tell you what, we'll have a funeral for the turtle. But being three years old, she didn't know what a funeral was. Scrambling to come up with an explanation, he said, A funeral is like a birthday party. We'll have ice cream and cake and lemonade and balloons and all the children in the neighborhood will come over to our house to play. Well, the idea of a turtle funeral did the trick and instantly Zoe was her happy, smiling self. The turtle's death was no longer a cause for tears, but a reason to rejoice. I'm not done yet. So with visions of a turtle funeral, with cake and ice cream and balloons in their heads, the two looked down on the turtle lying at their feet. And as they did, the turtle began to move. (laughs) A few moments later, he was crawling away as a very lively 
turtle. Sanders, a politician and a lawyer, was speechless. That's a miracle. But Zoe was not. After considering her options, she looked up at her father with her big, beautiful eyes, and with all the innocence of her tender years, she said quietly, Daddy, let's kill it. (laughs) That's a little cute and a little scary at the same time. But obviously, this three-year-old didn't understand the mysteries of life and death. And sadly, some adults don't either. Or at least they just can't come to terms with it. But this morning, we're going to see that death helps us to understand what life should be all about. We have come to the last chapter of Daniel. Yay! Finishing up with this vision from the angel concerning the future. If you remember... This vision began in chapter 10, which served as an introduction. It's where I believe Daniel saw the Lord in His glory. Remember, Daniel passed out. And it's where Daniel also learned about warfare between angels and demons in the unseen spiritual realm. Then we tackled the vision in chapter 11 where we got into the weeds, so to speak. In the first 35 verses, we looked at 135 detailed prophecies that were primarily focused on the conflicts between these Grecian kings from Egypt and from Syria, and how their conflicts impacted Israel, who was right smack dab in the middle between them. Last week, we jumped at warp speed from Daniel's future to our own. And we focused on the last half, the last half of the tribulation period. And the prominent figure of that time who is still yet to come. Remember, it's the Antichrist. Now we have made our way to Daniel chapter 12. And we're out of the weeds. And we seem to enter into a, an overview, if you will. So if you have your Bible... Turn to Daniel chapter 12, the last chapter, and we will begin with verse 1. Daniel 12, verse 1. 
Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Now at that time, the same future time we have been looking at, the last half of the seven-year tribulation period. We are told the archangel Michael, that's who Michael is, the archangel Michael will arise. He's the head of the angelic realm. He's an archangel. He's a general. And he has a specific assignment to stand guard over Daniel's people. Michael is the guardian angel of Israel. That's who he is. He's the guardian angel of Israel. But ironically... We are told the nation he guards is going to experience a time of distress like never before. And let me explain this by using a passage found in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. This is where the Apostle John, he begins to tell us about this conflict involving Michael. Revelation 12, beginning in verse 7. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan. Who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth. And his angels or demons were thrown down with I believe this occurs at the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation period where Michael and his angels go to battle against Satan and his demons. Satan and his demons are cast out of the heavenly realm. They no longer have access and they are thrown down to the earth, and in Satan's rage, it literally becomes hell on earth. Hell on earth. 
a time of great distress and terrible wrath, especially, especially towards Israel. The archangel Michael is Israel's protector. And yet, ironically, his war with Satan will lead to their greatest suffering. But according to God's plan, their greatest suffering will lead to their greatest deliverance. God has chosen to bring about the salvation of His people by means of suffering. And despite the terrors of that time, there will be a remnant of Jews who will be rescued. And I say remnant because this promise is not for every single Jew. The promise is for those who trust Jesus Christ as their Messiah, whose names are found written in the book. I believe the Lamb's book of life. So there's a lot of suffering and death because of this terrible time. But verse 2 tells us that this death is not the end. We are told, Verse 2, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. In this verse, we get the hints of a resurrection. A resurrection to everlasting life, but also a resurrection to everlasting contempt or condemnation. So the angel is telling Daniel about two resurrections. And for some clarity on this, let's jump ahead Back to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. And here, the Apostle John tells us this, beginning with verse 4. This is John speaking. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded, because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the Word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received a mark on their forehead or on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. 
and they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. Okay. In this passage, John also makes reference to two resurrections separated by a thousand year period. Okay, you with me? Two resurrections separated by a thousand year period. One to life and one to death. And the one to life is called the first resurrection. Now of those two words, the first resurrection, there is a lot of confusion. Not over the word resurrection. Over the word first. The word first has created a lot of confusion. When we hear the word first, we tend to understand that word as referring to something that comes ahead of all others. Meaning, what comes first is number one. Right? And that makes complete sense. But if we see the first resurrection mentioned here by John in that context as being number one, then we have a problem. Both historically and chronologically. For the number one resurrection was Jesus. Jesus was the first raised from the dead and whose body was transformed and glorified never to die again. Jesus gets the distinction of being number one. And as a little side note, if you recall, after Jesus was resurrected, Matthew tells us that many saints were raised to life and came out of the tombs. So clearly, the Lord's resurrection occurred first, along with some saints who were on His heels. Therefore, John's use of the word first cannot be simply seen as number one. You get that? It has to be interpreted differently. And it is. In the Greek, the word first is protos. Protos. And it has a couple of meanings. It means before, as in this comes before that, but it also means better or best. As in, I like this better than that. So the word first does not necessarily mean number one. It can simply refer to a place in sequence, or it can refer to the import of the importance 
or the priority of something. And in this context, I think both of these meanings apply. And let me explain. There are two bodily resurrections. A resurrection of the righteous to life. And there is a second or a final resurrection, which is a a resurrection of the spiritually dead for judgment and condemnation. There are two resurrections separated by the thousand-year millennial kingdom. And that is key to understanding this first resurrection. It's called the first resurrection because it comes before the Lord's earthly reign and it's better, it's a better resurrection than the one that comes afterwards. Okay? You with me? So who is being resurrected? And when does the first resurrection occur? The first resurrection is the resurrection of the chosen, the called, and the faithful throughout history. It will include believers who died in Christ. You could add the raptured church. It will include Old Testament saints who are resurrected at some point. And last but not least, it will also include the martyred tribulation saints. And as for when it occurs... I don't see the first resurrection as a single event. I rather see it in stages. I see it in stages. And if it helps, if this helps, picture the stages of a harvest in Old Testament times. Okay? Picture the stages of a harvest in Old Testament times. In those days... When, when harvesting a grain field, there were, there were the gathering of the first fruits. Does that ring a bell? The gathering of the first fruits, which were taken to the temple and presented to God as an offering. Those were the first fruits. And then there was the main reaping of the field. And afterwards, as a service to the poor and the needy, they were invited to glean of the field of whatever remained. If you recall, that's how Ruth met Boaz. She was gleaning the field after the main harvest. So using the stages of a harvest as a frame of reference... The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians that when it comes to the resurrection, Jesus is the first fruit. Those were his words. Jesus is the first fruit offered to God on our behalf. It started with him. 
Then comes the main reaping. When Jesus returns for His church, the bride. Paul described it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, where he said, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, that'd be Michael, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive will remain and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. In this main reaping, the dead in Christ rise first in transformed bodies. And afterwards, believers who are alive are raptured and their bodies are changed as well. Then last but not least, there is the gleaning. The resurrection of the tribulation martyrs. So the first resurrection, the better resurrection, which is for all believers, comes at various stages in history. But all coming before the millennial kingdom and before the final resurrection of the spiritually dead for judgment. I hope that makes sense. So according to both Daniel and John, there are two resurrections. A resurrection to eternal life and a resurrection to eternal condemnation. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's sobering to think about. But the next verse... The next verse is a good kick in the pants to do something about it. Let's continue with verse 3. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. How do the wise respond in the days of trouble? How or what do the wise do knowing that the end is coming? They impart wisdom. And they lead many to get right with God. Because right with God means your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. The wise... The ones who really get it. The ones who understand this is truly a matter of eternal life and eternal death. They will shine like the stars. And remember, stars shine their brightest when it's the darkest. It will be the darkest of times. And for those who share their faith and literally put their lives on the line for doing so, they will shine like the stars. That's what Daniel says. 
So Daniel is taking all of this in. And it's a lot because remember, this started back in chapter 10. And then he's given a command. In verse 4 he is told, But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. This is a puzzling verse. Some have taken it to mean that in some ways these words are to be hidden until the end of time. And some say that these words will be rendered incapable of being understood until the time is right. But I think what Daniel is being told is to preserve these words because there will come a time when people will be seeking knowledge about the end of time. As the end of time draws near, as things start to develop, as the access of knowledge increases, people will be seeking answers. And the answers will be found in God's completed Word. Completed Word. Not just from Daniel, but from other biblical sources as well. The book of Daniel is called the ABCs of end times prophecy. You ever heard that? Have you ever heard that? The book of Daniel is called the ABCs of end times prophecy. And the book of Revelation is called the XYZs. And when put together, and I believe that is the intent, everything becomes much more obvious. As the end draws near with all that God has given us in biblical wisdom, we can now see the stage being set. It's so clear to us. And what Daniel has written becomes much more evident and more plainer to us who are near the end. Now we come to verse 5 where the scene definitely takes a shift. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river and the other on that bank of the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be until the end of these wonders? I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his his right hand and his left towards heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And as soon as they finished shattering the power of the holy people, 
all these events will be completed. Okay. It would seem that we are back at the Tigris River near the city of Babylon where this vision all started. And Daniel is still with these angels. Daniel sees two angels standing on either side of the riverbank. And then one of them asks someone else who is above the waters, a third, how long? How long will it last before it is over? The one above the waters, maybe this is Jesus again, maybe it's just another angel, Whomever it is, he raises both hands and swears it will be for a time, times, and half a time. That being three and a half years. Do y'all see where I got that? Everybody see where I got that? Time, the word time is singular. The word times is plural. And then half a time. One plus two is three, and half a time is three and a half. You get that? Thank you. (laughs) Time, times, and half a time. That's three and a half year. That is the last half of the seven-year tribulation period which begins with the invisible war between Michael and Satan, but also the visible abomination of desolation in the temple in Jerusalem. And it ends with the shattering of Israel. In other words, the holy people of God will be broken until they are willing to accept Jesus as their Messiah and be made whole. That's how long. They will be broken until they are willing to accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah, and then they will be made whole. It has been decreed. That is God's plan and His purpose, and they will be accomplished. Well, as you might imagine, Daniel's head is spinning. He is taking in a lot. He's still wondering how all of this is going to work out, and then beginning with verse 8, something encouraging is said To all of us. It reads. As for me. I heard. This is Daniel. I heard but could not understand. So I said my Lord. What will be the outcome of these events? He said. Go your way Daniel. For these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. Many will be purged, 
purified and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. And none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. Daniel said, I heard it, but I could not understand, and thank God it's just not me. Thank God it's just not me. Daniel wants clarity. But the angel tells him, you don't need to understand it all. You have received all you are going to get, and it's enough. Go your way, Daniel. In the end... It will make sense because it is meant for those in the end. Do you see that? In the end it will make sense because it's meant for those in the end. And that's why you and I understand it now. It's obvious to us. The wise will understand, but the wicked will not. God refines and He purifies the wise, but the wicked will remain in the dark and just keep being on wicked. The wicked will be wicked. What do you expect? So Daniel is left scratching his head. And what is said next leaves me scratching my head. Beginning with verse 11, we are told this. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to 1,335 days. Everywhere everywhere else in the Bible, it's 1,260 days or 42 months or Time, times and half a times, right? Or three and a half years. Everywhere else in the Bible, it's 1,260 days. It's all the same. So what in the world is 1,290 days and 1,335 days? We're not told. We are not told. I can only speculate, and I'm willing to do that. This is not gospel. I can only speculate. But, after the end of the tribulation period, remember I read to you earlier, after the end of the tribulation period, we know 
from Matthew chapter 25, there will be a judgment of the nations. Or, if you remember, the judgment between the sheep and the goats. This is a judgment, again, for those who physically survived the tribulation period. And in this judgment, some will physically enter into the millennial kingdom to repopulate the earth. That's how the earth will be repopulated, by those who physically enter into the kingdom. And others will be sent to eternal punishment. I'm only speculating. But it might take some time for this judgment. It might take some time for the Lord to establish His kingdom. To gather His people throughout the world. It might take some time to allow the waters and the land to be cleansed and healed after being decimated during the tribulation period. Again, this is only speculation on my part. So don't say Bob said that. Only speculation. But that's the best I can do to explain those two time periods, for it's not mentioned anywhere else. Okay? Now we come to the last verse. Verse 13, where the angel has some final words for Daniel. But as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Daniel, who saw kings and kingdoms come and go, ultimately lived to please the king of kings. Now this old man is near the end of his life. His journey has come to an end. We will not hear from him again. And here he is told, go your way. Go your way to the end. Finish well. For your rest is coming. And one day, you will rise again. What a great promise given to Daniel. And it's a promise to every one of us who trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Unless the rapture comes first, when your work here is done, You must face the reality of death. It's a reality. 
You must face the reality of death. But don't worry. For there is life beyond the grave. For those who know Jesus Christ, and you will rise to enjoy your eternal rewards. And there's no mystery in that. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this time in Daniel. At times, uh, this word has been very challenging. At times, difficult to understand. Other times, very encouraging, very hopeful. I thank you, Lord God, for these words. Although Daniel did not fully understand what he was writing, we do. We can now we can now see, we can now understand. And we have no fear of death. If anything, death helps us to understand what life should be about. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Who took upon himself my condemnation and contempt and bore our sins upon himself so that we may experience eternal life with you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I was thinking about eternal life this morning, everlasting life. How long is everlasting? Yes, forever and ever and ever. We could just keep going, right? Forever and ever and ever. That's what everlasting means, eternal means. It's, it, just, it just goes, it's forever and ever and ever. And when I think of my own life in the here and now, even if I live to be a hundred, Lord Jesus, I hope not. But even if I live to be a hundred, that's but a blink of an eye compared to eternity. Right? Just that quick. A blink of an eye compared to eternity. What we do here, what we believe has some bearing. And the life is to come. There is eternal life that awaits for those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And this part is beyond imagination. There is eternal condemnation for those who reject Him. That's hard to fathom. 
eternal condemnation. That too is forever and ever and ever. I want no part of that. But to reject Jesus Christ by default is to accept that, which we want no part of. Thank God that Jesus paid it all. And all that He asks is that we would trust Him, place our faith in Him, to believe who He says He is, who He says He was. He can do what He says He can do. That's what He asks. Maybe you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He loves you more than you'll ever know. The Father sent His Son to a cross in your place because He did not want you to experience eternal condemnation. He wants you to experience eternal life with Him. That's what He wants. He made a way. He did that. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, give me a chance to talk with you about Him. Maybe you're looking for a church home. We'd love to have you here. Or maybe there's something else. You just need some prayer. Whatever it might be, just respond to the Lord. Larry?